0: Hello and welcome to the Finding Something More to Talk About Book Club. I'm Nancy Wrench, your host. Our book this month is Brene Brown's The Ten-Year Edition of The Gifts of Imperfection. Joining our discussion today is Cindy Stewart from Oxnard, California, Diana Melcher from Lubbock, Texas, Kate Gregory from Huntington Beach, California, and Jasmine Sharp of Anaheim Hills, california welcome ladies let's talk brene brown writes and is all about wholehearted living engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness no matter what gets done or goes undone each day we are enough And for me, there was just so much to absorb in not only the 10 guideposts that Brene talks about throughout the book, but also the sections within sections I kept going back to and reflecting on. How do you feel about what you've read so far? Hi, Nancy. This is Kate. Hi. Um, Hi. I have read this book
1: before and have this book and I could read it again and again and again. It's interesting to me how everything is all interconnected. All the guideposts are interconnected together. And there are some things that really, you know, stand out to me about this book. I just think it's excellent, an excellent tool for living a good life.
2: Hi, this is Cindy. I also had this book and I think it's quite interesting as we kind of had chatted and learned that all of us had this book on our bookshelf somewhere that I think It speaks to a degree of self-awareness anyway, in that we all knew of our perfectionistic tendencies and probably wanted a little bit of help to escape that burden that perfectionism places on us. In rereading the book, I, like Kate, really absorbed a lot more all of the different guideposts and how they interrelate. And I think the one thing that stood out for me that I don't know that I totally absorbed the first time around was that perfectionism is shame-based. Perfectionism Mm -hmm. is not our desire to improve. It's a desire or a coping mechanism of overcoming the things that we feel inadequate about
0: right and let's just stop right there you know let's talk about shame shame is defined and I did look it up I wanted to see what is the definition of shame because it's so prevalent in all of our lives it's that intense an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us feel unworthy of connection. And connection is living a wholehearted life, she writes in her book. Let's talk about shame just for a moment.
3: Yeah, this is Jasmine. I think that shame is just like, I love how Brene puts it in her book about how, shame prevents you from connection, which is the other ladies. We, I've also had read this book before, and I just think that it's a great book. But what really stood out to me in reading it this time was that shame isn't just something that we want to try to avoid. It's shame is something that is inevitable, but it's something that can be used to, we can turn shame around and turn it into vulnerability, which is what I really liked about the book. Brene didn't say, don't be not perfect. Like she didn't say right. the goal is perfect. She said that we obviously are all flawed and we need to not only accept those flaws, but be open and honest and vulnerable with them. Because if we're not honest about ourselves, then we're never going to become connected with other people. We're never going to develop close relationships.
0: Right. Exactly. Oh, I love the way that you, that you put that. She also writes, I learned how to worry more about how I felt and less about what people might think. And that was huge to me. How do I feel? Not what you think. How, do, how am I feeling right now? And how do I set boundaries? So the question is, what about you? When or with whom are you most likely to say yes when you mean no and does it turn into resentment or blame can the answer be yes everyone (laughs) yes (laughs) Nancy this is Diana
4: hi Diana Uh, hi you know I've always wrestled with this wanting to be involved with just just wanting to be involved just wanting to be involved and connected and you know sometimes we get ourselves in a position where we are overwhelmed or we just obligate ourselves for too many things because we want to be involved. And then we end up, I guess, resenting, being a perfectionist anyway, I, I end up sometimes resenting the the amount of time it takes to do something perfectly <laughs> that I, or right. how I want to do it. If I go into it with a, a good idea of the time commitment and that sort of thing, then that's one thing. But If it turns into be something a lot more than what I expected it to be, I still want to have that level of perfectionism there where I want to do a good job. I committed myself and I want to be available. I want to do the best job I can. Absolutely. I want uh, people to know they can count on me, that sort of thing. And so sometimes there is some, some resentment there when you just you know, because of time constraints or whatever. You just can't follow through the way you want to. Right.
1: The hardest people to say no to are the people that are important to me, which my daughter, my fiance, my dear friends. Sometimes I think we can not want to say no because we want to show, well, this is me speaking. Maybe I want to show how capable I am. And I think that's something to avoid for myself. I really do whenever whenever I am asked to do something that I know is going to take a lot of time I do think okay is this something that I can do that you know excellently or is it something that I can't do excellently and if I'm not going to be able to fulfill the commitment I won't I won't do it but it is hard to say no to the people that are important to us even sometimes when you should right right
2: I really? I Uh think along those lines too, that, you know, I've always been a yes person. And I know in looking back, a lot of that was just being fearful of disappointing whoever would be asking for a favor or my time. And probably my need to please people. And then underlying that is my need to feel that connection and belonging. And I know that Renee um, tackles that in her book is that when we are not authentic, many times it's because we need to feel that we are belonging to a group or an idea or what have you. We lose our authenticity by that desire or that um, subconscious need.
0: That emotional feeling that we get when when you get the accolades, or somebody goes overboard on what you have done, whether it took you a long time, or if you just whipped it together, you get that acknowledgement. And to, you know, really sit and think that acknowledgement, really, what it what is that? Does that really, am I taking away from my authenticity of who I am? Am I taking away from living wholeheartedly and digging deep when I need to make a decision. And, and let's talk about digging deep. She said, do you dig deep or do you dig deep?
2: Well, I used a wholehearted approach, you know, over many weeks, months, and years in the beginning of my sobriety. I had to dig deep to get to the root cause of why I turned to alcohol to numb my pain numb the experiences that I was going through and you know without the proper support team counseling you know privately and in group sessions etc I might not have been able to do that and you know I tell people I'm mentoring a young woman right now who's struggling with her alcoholism I tell her that in in time she will grow to really appreciate the fact that she's a recovering alcoholic because the 12-step program offers so many opportunities to dig very deeply into your life and all of your relationships.
4: Nancy, in looking at the section of the book, I'm, I'm going back over when she uses dig, D-I-G, you know, that is, she says that's being deliberate in your thoughts and actions get inspired, inspired to make new and different choices and then get going. And yes, I think especially that get going, you know, if you, if you want things to change, you need to take action. And I think it's a process of self-discovery. I think, you know, you, you have to discover what what really makes you happy in order to be deliberate, you know, or inspired or get going? What makes me happy? What, as opposed to, you know, what is supposed to make me happy? Then, then live with a true commitment mm-hmm. in your daily life. But I think taking action, you know, for me was the key word there is, you know, discovering what it is to dig and then you know, trying to live that out.
3: I love that Diana that's so true and I really resonated Kate with what you were saying earlier about being afraid of being seen as not capable and I think that that's something that stood out to me when we were talking about digging deep in the book and how Brene was saying that you need to take action to get going but it doesn't necessarily have to be action to like work harder I mean I am definitely a perfectionist and a workaholic but she says if you want to have a more fulfilled life, if if you want to achieve what she's trying to tell us about in these guideposts, it very much can include needing to take a break, needing to rest, but still, just like you were saying, Diana, you still have to take action to make that happen. You can't just say, I'm going to rest more and then never do it, (laughs) which is something I'm very guilty of.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, let's go down to talking about the guidepost, cultivating self-compassion and letting go of perfectionism. She says that time you're struggling with something, know that there are other people out there who share in that challenge, practicing mindfulness by allowing ourselves to actually feel what we're feeling without over-identifying with those feelings because all feelings are temporary. Perfectionism, on the other hand, does the opposite and encourages you to be mean to yourself, to disconnect you from others and resist feeling what you're actually feeling. It ignores the constraints of reality and drags you down with it. How do you handle self-compassion and and letting go of perfectionism? Have you been able to use some of these ideas that she has and habits that you may currently have? Have you tried to overcome some of these And, and what do you do? Let's start with Diana.
4: I love when I read, she said, you know, operate from a place that we're doing the best we can. <laughs> that really spoke to me. Actually, you know, I think that gives you permission to say that, you know, being perfectionists, some of us, you know, just, you know, we drive ourselves uh, sometimes. And it's nice to know that in I think you know, in just the light of this last year, where so many things have happened to us, you know, the lockdown and things out of our control, that we can tell ourselves, you know, it's okay to do. Just do the best you can. You just don't. Right. You don't have to just you know drive yourself. Just, just do the best you can. So I think you know, practicing self kindness there and mindfulness, you know, but but really just you know strive to do the best you can. Mm-hmm.
3: That's so true, Diana. I'm just loving everything you're saying today. I, I absolutely agree. And it's not only just like striving to do the best you can, but focusing on, especially for like us perfectionists, focusing on even if you feel like you have this big goal that you're trying to achieve and you can't get it done in the timeline that you Wish you could have instead of saying, Oh, I failed, reframing that into, Okay, I did accomplish these three little things right. and focusing on your accomplishments because that definitely helps in exactly what you were saying, Diana that self kindness and self compassion and focusing on the things that you've accomplished and succeeded in instead of saying you failed in something that, as I'm sure we all know, we are holding ourselves to a higher standard than anyone else's. Right. Yes, right.
2: do. I think sometimes for me just saying it's okay you're human when I make a mistake or I've messed up a project or something along those lines just to recognize my humanity and to say oh well you know right. I'll do it differently next time or now I've learned what doesn't work so I'll try a new approach next time. And I think being gentler with myself as far as knowing when I need rest, knowing when I need to get off that little hamster wheel and just take a break from it all. And I think that that speaks to self-compassion, taking care of myself, my mind, my body, my emotional state, my physical state
1: one of the things that, that I really resonated with what you said too, was that a lot of times for me personally, I will judge my feelings. So if I'm having a painful emotion, I will maybe shame myself and say, why am I feeling that? You know, I shouldn't feel this way. Um, Buck up, you know, feel better. And one of the things I've learned from Brene and also through grief work is that our feelings are normal and natural and it's better to acknowledge them. And it's also better to just let yourself feel them because they will pass. And I like in this chapter where she talks about not over-identifying or exaggerating at the same time. Because I think we sometimes live on a pendulum where we we think we're either supposed to be totally happy or we're over-exaggerating. And I think maybe we over-exaggerate because we suppress it. So it's really, it's been eye-opening for me to recognize that it's okay to feel how it.
0: We're going to end uh, on this this question and it's her it's her guidepost cultivating your resilient spirit letting go of numbing and powerlessness so my question is do you have something that you do say or act upon to numb yourself
2: well for me you know I mean a big very big part of my alcoholic drinking was an attempt to numb life numb my feelings numb everything I was experiencing these days I find when I've had a real frustrating day I go out to the garage and I get on my elliptical and it's a way for me to not necessarily numb but to work out the frustration or the anxiety or what have you so I guess you know I'm compelled to turn to exercise for my numbing
1: I think sometimes for me, I will look at social media (laughs) or Netflix, and then the time goes by for Google, and I think, oh, my gosh, you know, an hour just went by, and then, of course, then we can get into the little shame game of, I can't believe I just spent an hour on
4: Google because I went down the rabbit hole, so. um, And that's an endless
3: cycle. (laughs) Yes.
4: Nancy, I see in here where... she says one of the bullet points in this section is we cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, really, I, I highlighted that and underlined it as well, because I think that's, you know, a good point to remember that you can't do one thing without doing the other basically you're you're numbing the the painful things but you're also numbing your you know positivity and your creativity and your uh you know the things that uh, get you
0: by on a daily right. basis right. and your growth right that's,
2: Correct. So, that's so true diana it's it's like we we're not capable of shutting down just one small area of our lives we shut down completely when we do that
3: And that's exactly what Brene was saying with, like, we have to be vulnerable in in order to have those connections, which means we have to accept that sometimes negative emotions are part of it. If we want to be able to have the positive emotions, to be able to make those connections with other people. Good point, Jesse. That's,
0: you know, well said. Yes.
3: Well, this has been,
0: again, wonderful conversation with four brilliant women. Um, We have decided to have two separate talks on this book because there's so much to cover. So we're going to go ahead and end this session. I'd like to thank my guests for joining me today and the listeners tuning in. Remember, there's always something more to read about.